do you know my Jesus? I did not ask you, do you know about him? Do you know information? Do you know facts? The question is, do you know him? If we read the Bible correctly, the world is without excuse when it rejects Jesus Christ. If we read the Bible correctly, the church is also without excuse for not sharing the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at Romans 1 primarily this morning, and, and as we look at it, the thing that you and I need to understand is Paul tells us in Romans we are accountable, that God has clearly revealed himself in every conceivable way. And Romans 1 is as important in understanding the world as Genesis 1, 1 through 3. You have to believe Genesis 1, 1 through 3, because if you don't believe that, then you don't believe there's a God. Because it says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say, in the beginning, Charles Darwin. It says, in the beginning, God. And since that was written thousands of years before Darwin was born, we'll go with God. John begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There are beginnings, and in those beginnings there are revelations. And those revelations tell us something about God. Now here, here's our way of thinking. For most of us who are members of this church, we have been raised in a Western mindset, a Western culture, meaning we are more, more Greek and Roman than Asian and Far Eastern in our thinking. What, what that means is simply that we think more in rational and reasoning and straight-line logic and apologetics. And with, with that kind of thinking, the Greeks were the first that began to create God in their own image. And so when they made man the center of the universe, they made man God. Now, other civilizations before the Greeks, like the Egyptians, created gods that were hybrids. In other words, it would be uh, part man and part bull, part bird and part man. Uh, they would blend the head of one thing and the body of another thing. So Paul is writing to a primarily logical, rational reasoning, straight-line logic group of people in Rome. But they were biblically illiterate. The book of Romans contains some of the great foundational truths of the gospel. You, if you want to understand the book of Romans, you're going to have to study it a long time. But it is so foundational to what the truth of salvation is all about. Augustine came to Christ by reading Romans chapter 13. Martin Luther discovered that salvation was by grace through faith while he was reading the book of Romans. John Wesley, his heart was strangely warmed. He came to Christ while he was reading Luther's preface to the book of Romans. Bunyan started studying Romans while he was imprisoned and wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It is the most powerful letter ever written in history. But you need to remember this and mark it at the top of your Bible somewhere. When Paul begins to talk to the Romans about salvation, he does not begin with the gospel. He begins with creation. 
Paul starts his argument with the intellectual leaders of the world by talking about creation. So if you think that we should be embarrassed about talking about creation in a world that thinks that's a myth, then you think you're smarter than Paul. Because here's Paul, the greatest of all Jews. He was a Jew of Jews, educated in the highest schools. He had more PhDs than all of us in this room combined. And here's Paul says, I'm going to get to Jesus. Before I get there, I want to tell you about creation. I want to talk to you about what God has done. So verses 1 through 17, Paul is making an introductory statement. He is focusing on the Lordship of Christ. He's setting a platform here in these first 17 verses that Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a rule of thought. It's not a tradition. It's not an opinion. It's a person. Look at verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to all who are in Rome. Paul felt a burden for every level and strata of society, every level of culture. To the Greeks, that means the high class, the elite of the elite, the barbarians, those that were looked down on by the Romans, the, the uncultured people. Paul said, you can be a king or a nobody, you need the same Jesus. Doesn't matter what your station in life, doesn't matter whether you've arrived, it doesn't matter your IQ, Wherever you are, whoever you are, you need Jesus Christ. To Paul, it was simple. Everybody he met, a Greek or a barbarian, the cultured or the uncultured, they were either lost or saved. So Paul simplifies it all and says, the life of Christ and the love of Christ has compelled me. I am eager. I can't wait. I've got to tell you about this. So here's a man who is committed to the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. In Athens, he's been mocked. In Jerusalem, he's been mobbed. In Rome, he will be martyred. But wherever he was, whatever condition he found himself in, Paul pointed people to Christ. So let's look at the first thing God revealed in creation, beginning in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, it's emphatic, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. You ought to understand there are two things that are revealed here in Paul's writings. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. That dates all the way back to the time of Abraham when he quotes that verse. Now, verse 18, there's a second thing revealed. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is, underline the word, evident. It's not hiding. That which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. This is not in a fog. This is a clear revelation. 
being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now, I've just given you some key things to remember when you're sharing the gospel with somebody that thinks they're too smart for God. Because God says, I've made a clear declaration here. I've revealed righteousness and I've revealed coming wrath. It's been clearly seen. And every person on this planet, listen to me, every person on this planet is without excuse. No one will stand before God of the 7 billion people alive on this planet today and say, I didn't know. God, you didn't show yourself. And God will point out creation and say, you saw that. You're without excuse. You should have been looking for me because I was clearly evident in creation. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now, somewhere by verse 21, 22, and 23, write Psalm 19. Because there are great parallels between Romans 1 and Psalm 19. God has given us evidence in creation. And in Psalm 19, the writer of the Psalms, hundreds of years before Paul writes Romans, gives us three evidences of God in Psalm 19. In verses 1 through 6, he says, God is revealed in creation. Now, we, we don't have time to read all of Psalm 119. But in verses 1 through 6, the psalmist says God is revealed in creation. In verses 7 through 11, he tells us God has been revealed in the scriptures, the word of God. Now he's saying God's been revealed in the scriptures, and a lot of it hadn't been written at the time that he wrote this psalm, and none of the New Testament had been written. In verse 12, he's been revealed in salvation, in salvation. All through the Bible, Adam, Noah, the psalmist, the prophets, talk about God in creation. They looked at the world and they saw God. Now here's how the world would argue. The world would argue that if there is a God, where is he in the storms, the famines, the earthquakes, the droughts, and the floods? Our response to that is very simple. It's our fault. The person that asks that question, you can point at him and say, the reason all that's going on is you. Because this was a perfect world until your great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden. And ever since then, this world has been fallen. Your fault, my fault. Because God had a perfect world. There were no floods. There were no famines. There were no earthquakes. There were no volcanoes. There was none of that. And Adam and Eve, in a perfect environment, looking around, having fellowship with God, said, there's got to be more. And they cost us everything. And we live in a fallen world that the Bible says is groaning for God to redeem it. That's why God's not going to put a band-aid on this world when he comes back. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Now, we sinned against God. Now, here's the thought that you need to remember. 
Man did not fall in hell. He fell in paradise. Man did not sin against God in hell or in a bad environment or in the wrong neighborhood. Man sinned against God in paradise, a perfect environment where God had revealed his majesty. And so God has revealed himself in creation. It's clear. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He said, it takes a mind to understand creation, which means there's a mind behind creation. It takes a mind to understand a plow, a cell, a plant, or the universe, and that means there's a mind behind it. By the way, when you use the word universe, uni means one. It's one. God created a universe. There's unity behind it. There was a, a post on Facebook just the last couple of days that there, there's a sky wall that's a billion stars out there in the universe. One. The same God that put those stars that are billions of light years away put this earth right here. All that you see, you go out on a dark night when you're away from city lights, and all the stars that you see, it's a universe. It's a one. God created it and made it. And according to the Word of God, the only place that rebelled was right here. The heavens declare the glory of God, but not man. Man curses God. Man uses his name in vain. All the while standing and looking at the mountains, looking at the beach, looking at the ocean, looking at creation, and curses the God who has revealed himself to him. And so God says, you take my name in vain looking at a mountain, you take my vain looking at a river, you take my name in vain while you're fishing, you take my name in vain while you're on the top of a mountain, you are without excuse. You will die and go to hell because you've rejected me. Don't you think God's not serious about what he did? Verse 19, verse, Psalm 19, verse 11. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. What, what the psalmist is saying is creation is preaching a sermon. The sun came up. Did the sun come up this morning? Did it? Well, some of you saw it, some of you didn't. But did the sun come up this morning? God was preaching a sermon to 7 billion people. If he holds this earth together and the sun goes down tonight and the moon comes up, it's a sermon. When clouds roll in and bring rain, it's a sermon. When grass begins to grow, it's a sermon. When the flowers are popping out of the ground, it's a sermon. You say, well, I planted those flowers. Yeah, did you create the seed? Everything you see in creation is God preaching a sermon. Behind the creation is a creator. Paul quotes Psalm 19.4. And he reminds his audience that they are without excuse. That every day God is revealing himself. In the sunrise, in a sunset, in the animal kingdom. His silent voice is preaching. So what that means is whether they're the lost in a part of the world that we have never been to and don't know how to get to, or the lost next door to us, they're without excuse. We've all sinned against the light. God is not only revealed in creation, He's revealed in Scripture. 
Now, if you took time to study Psalm 19, David refers to God in creation, and he uses the name for God, Elohim. But when he talks about God and his law, he uses the covenant name of God, Jehovah. Paul begins in Romans, he's driving home a point. Verses 1 and 2, Jesus is the who of the gospel. In verse 16, salvation by faith is the what of the gospel. In verse 18, the wrath of God is the why of the gospel. What Paul is doing in Romans 1, what the psalmist did in Psalm 19, is to tell us that this is God's history lesson. God is teaching us something. Righteousness is revealed to us. Righteousness is always right. God is always right. He's not open for a vote. You can't kick him off the throne. You see, righteousness is revealed, and we wouldn't know what righteousness is if God didn't say that's sin. So righteousness is revealed, and wrath is revealed because we are guilty. Now, here, here's where liberalism and theological heresy have something in common. Liberalism, political, philosophical, and heresy have one thing in common. They think man is getting better. Apparently, they never watch the news. They think man's getting better, that we're evolving into some better thing. I, I beg to differ. As much education, as much enlightenment, as much goodness as there is in this country, you let a few hotheads get out on a street and it's chaos. Man's not getting better. You know why? Because he's depraved and sick and bound up in sin, and the only way he can get better is to admit he's a sinner in need of a Savior. That's the only way he's going to get better. Man's not going to get better by reading more books. Man's not going to get better by improving our education system. Man only gets better when he admits that righteousness has been revealed and wrath has been revealed. The reality is man started at the top and he fell to the bottom and he's been at the bottom ever since. Now you can't start any higher than walking in fellowship with God in a garden. You can't get any higher than that. And they saw some piece of fruit and said, that means more to me than God. And today, people slept in because an hour's sleep means more to them than God. And people go spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like because they want that more than they want God. And we make choices every day that say, that's more important to me than God is. I would say to you, if that's your lifestyle, then you need to ask yourself if you know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, that paradigm changes. God's wrath is unavoidable, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress truth in unrighteousness. In verse 18 of Romans, where he says, is revealed, that's present tense. It's already happening. It's already happening. It's going on right now. Now here's a truth that you need to remember. It may be invisible to some, but it is not inescapable. It may be invisible to some, 
but it is not inescapable. The wrath of God is not inescapable. And it should move us and break us and change us to know that if we know people who do not know Christ, the only thing they have to look forward to is the wrath of God. Because either they let Jesus take the wrath that is meant for them, or they bear the wrath themselves in an eternal hell. That ought to rattle our cage a little bit. Revealed righteousness, verse 17. Revealed wrath, verse 18. God's wrath is the righteous reaction to the rejection of his love. Why does God pour out wrath? You, you, you're going to hear preachers and read books that say there's no hell or hell is just for, you know, you go and you're annihilated and you're no more, then you don't read the Bible. It's an eternal separation. It's an eternal place of dwelling. You don't get out of it after 10 years or 10 billion years or 10 trillion years. If you reject Christ, you're in hell for eternity. Say, well, I'll be there with my friends. You think they're having any fun? A consuming fire separated from the presence of God. No mercy, no grace, no love, no kindness, no self-control. Hell is man let loose in the presence of the devil of hell to act like hell. That doesn't sound like where I want to spend eternity. They suppress the truth, smother it, choke it out. It's, again, it's a continuous action. We're trying to suppress the truth. We have it on every level of our society. People trying to suppress the truth. They don't want the Bible in schools. They don't want Gideon's hand out Bibles in hospitals. They don't want the Word of God anywhere. They don't want the Ten Commandments up on any courthouse. And when you suppress the truth, you get the wrath of God. And there's only one explanation for America. We are already under the wrath of God. And the only hope for us is a return to righteousness, and that begins in the church being revived because lost people don't understand what righteousness is. Church folks should. Lastly, God's revelation in his son. Romans 1, look at verse 1. Last part of verse 1. Set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now remember, we started with God's revealed in creation. God's revealed in Scripture, verse 2, concerning his son, God's revelation in his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Creation tells us that God's preaching. When you see water, it's a reminder of living water. Water can refresh the physical body. Living water refreshes the spiritual body. When you see the sun coming up, it's a reminder that God's Son, S-O-N, rose from the grave to give you and I hope. God has revealed himself in creation. God has revealed himself in Scripture. Now, I want you to Turn to Matthew chapter 2 and let's look at how God revealed himself in the Son. 
as we wrap all this up. Matthew chapter 2. After 400 years of silence, after the book of Malachi, God has not spoken, but he has been revealed in creation. He has been revealed in the scripture, and he goes silent for 400 years. And all of a sudden, in one place, at one time, all the prophecies related to Messiah and his first coming are fulfilled in a little town called Bethlehem. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his, what? Star creation. How did the Magi get there? A star God spoke from heaven in a star, and they began to follow it. They studied the stars. They were astrologers. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together with the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, you could just write in right there, Scripture in Bethlehem of Judea. How did they know that? The Bible says it. In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 9. They went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stopped stood over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. So look at it. I mean, you want to know how to witness to somebody that's a little skeptical? First of all, creation announced his birth. Creation announced his birth. The Magi saw a star. The star led them to the scriptures. They followed this star from the east. We don't know exactly where they were coming from, how long it took them, but they follow this star and it just kind of stops and they get to Jerusalem and here's this temple. And here are all these priests and all these Levites and all these scribes. And so they go to the king and say, we're, we're looking for somebody. And the king says, I'll go ask the religious leaders. And the religious leaders say that the scriptures say that Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Creation, they would have never gone to Jerusalem without a star to guide them. And when they got to Jerusalem, they discovered the scriptures, and then the scriptures pointed them to the Savior. How did they get to Bethlehem? How did they know to go to Bethlehem? Why not go to Bethany? Why not go somewhere else? Because the star led them, guided them to the scriptures, and got them to where the sun was. Now, how many people are there in America today who say they are Christians because they know these facts but don't know the sun? They know these facts. Oh yeah, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, Jesus died. And 
he rose again and he, you know, he went up to heaven. He's, he's coming back again. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, John 3, 16, I know that. I learned that when I was five years old. I know that verse. I, I can quote some scripture to you. Yeah, learned it when I was in RAs and GAs. I, I know scripture. But do you know him? You see, the chief priests and scribes had five books of the Bible memorized. They knew exactly where it said the Messiah would be born. But they did not even walk five miles to see if it was true. I got my facts down. I ain't worried about it. I want to tell you something, folks. A lot of church members are going to be in hell and without excuse because they know just enough facts to deaden their hearts to going and finding out where the sun is working and what the sun is doing. You think this is a Christian nation? I've got swampland in Arizona. I'll be glad to sell you. Because if it was, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. It's a religious nation, but it's not a Christian nation. Let's just take it off the sign and forget calling ourselves that. And I don't care what politician says they're a Christian. Jesus said, by their fruit you'll know them. And I don't care if a politician can quote any book of the Bible or any verse of the Bible. Does he know the Son? Because it's not about saying the words. It's about knowing the Son. And if you and I don't know the Son, we're without excuse. Can you imagine what it's going to be like one day when people go and they die and they get to the gate of heaven and, and Peter says, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I was a member of Sherwood Baptist Church. Yeah, but your name's not in the book of life. Because you never truly trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You joined a church and you got baptized and you're a member of Sunday school and, and you can quote some scriptures and you got a Bible, but, but your name's not in the Lamb's book of life. Can I tell you something? The person that has sat under the word in this church in the 60 years we've been in existence and not trusted Christ but just gotten religion is no more closer to heaven than the person that doesn't own a Bible and has never heard the word. Both are without excuse. Are you today, are you today willing to risk your eternity on knowing about God? but not really sure if you know God. Because I'm going to tell you something. Churches all across our land, all across our community, are full of people that if Jesus was five miles away, what we want to eat for lunch is more important than getting out of our seat and going and finding him. That means you're lost. If you know where Jesus is and you're not looking for him, you know all about Jesus and be lost. If you're not pursuing him, you don't know him. Are you willing to risk, if today was your last day, if today you breathed your last breath, are you willing to risk that what you have done with Jesus is enough to get you through the gates of heaven? Because the only thing that's going to get you there is pleading the blood of Jesus and ask God to take the wrath that you deserve and pour it onto Jesus and let you embrace the righteousness that you do not deserve. All have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. Walk out, see the sky. It's a sermon. It's a better sermon than the one I just preached. Read the Bible. It's a sermon. Look at the sun. It's a sermon. Would you stand, heads bowed and eyes closed? I want to ask you right now, wherever you are, if you don't know, if it is not settled in you, or you know, really know, you're not saved. You, you're a church member, or you're religious, and you know stuff, but if you don't know, I'm going to ask you to step out right now out of these mezzanines, out of the balcony, on these rows in front, and come down and find one of these men and simply say to them, I need to know that I know Jesus today. I need to settle it in my heart. And if, if you can't do that, if you say, well, I'm not sure, I'll deal with that later, you know what? There's one word, pride. Pride. You're more worried about what somebody will think about you than you're worried about if Jesus is real to you. You don't have to wait on music. I'm not asking you to wait until we start singing. I'm asking you to step out now. Step out from where you are. Come down. Let's settle this matter of salvation today, right now, in this moment. Let's settle it. Let's get it right. Christians, if you know that you know that you know, you ought to be praying right now. You shouldn't be looking around and wondering. You ought to be praying. You ought to be asking God to move in the hearts of people to respond to good news today. Heads are bowed. People